Hey guys, Jesse Newell here, KU Beat Writer for the Kansas City Star. Really excited to share this episode with you. We talk with Jordan Sperber about KU basketball. Jordan has worked for a video coordinator uh, for New Mexico State, has great insight into the not only the analytics of basketball, that's kind of what he was tasked with doing at New Mexico State, but also the coaching side of it. So uh, on his HoopVision68 Twitter account. He's shared some insights, and he also watched the KU Vermont game in depth, wrote about it, and also did on his YouTube page a video about uh, the KU offense as part of his 18 power rankings. So he also has a, a podcast out I'd encourage you guys to check out. It's called Solving Basketball. He has some coaches and video coordinators and players on there to talk about the advanced analytics of the game. So a really good follow on Twitter and able to give some good insight about KU basketball and the offense that they're trying to run this season. So anyway, stay tuned here for the chat with Jordan Sperber, uh, the former video coordinator for New Mexico State Basketball, now on Twitter at Vision 68 Happy to bring on the podcast, Jordan Sperber. Jordan, how you doing? Good. Thank you for having me, Jesse. I really appreciate it. And uh, just full disclosure here, I've, I've loved the insight that you've been able to give online uh, recently since you have been uh, you know, a video coordinator at the Division One level with New Mexico State. And it's sort of giving the analytics side of it, but also the coaching side. So I think you've given some really good insight when it comes to college basketball. I wanted to bring you on because I saw you were tweeting during the game and even retweeted something uh, from you during the KU Vermont game. So obviously you were paying attention and, and watching that game. So wanted to get your insight about the KU Vermont game, what you saw from Kansas and uh, sort of your impressions of the Jayhawks. I guess we will start with there. You know, you were one of the main things I know you were doing was tracking post touches for the Jayhawks. Um, I guess, what did you see from KU's offense and what were some of the main takeaways you had from watching KU play that home game against Vermont? Yeah, so I knew that I wanted to track something during the Kansas game. Um, and the first play of the game against Vermont, they, they did what's called a, a roll replace ball screen. So uh, Azubuki came up and set a ball screen um, Diedrich Lawson replaced to the top, and then they went high-low, which is the, the the common staple for Bill Self throughout the years is that little high-low play, big-to-big. Um, and you are starting to not see that quite as much in college basketball, uh, more so four guards um, on the court and just spread ball screens. And so when I saw that on the first play, it seemed pretty clear there was going to be an emphasis uh, for the post touches, and, and that's... Uh, what I started tracking. Yeah, so can you give us some of the numbers and what you saw from the post-touches and uh, I guess how KU does it and how that compares sort of to how basketball is being played now? Like you said, pace and space is sort of where the game has gone to, both at the NBA and the college level. Exactly, yeah. Uh, it's funny, in, in for probably the first 10 minutes of the game, uh, the numbers were very anti-KU's post-ups. And as the game progressed, they got better and better. So the final numbers were... They threw the ball into the post on 26 of KU's 71 possessions, which is a lot when when you consider that some of those possessions are transition where you don't even really have a chance to throw the ball into the post. So 26 out of the 71 on those possessions, they scored 1.15 points per possession on the 45 where they didn't, uh, they scored 1.20 and which, which is a pretty insignificant difference given that it's just a one-game sample size. Um, usually, if you're going to look at efficiency stats based off of post-ups, they're, they're, uh, the, the numbers aren't going to be too kind to post-ups. It's really hard to be efficient playing with your back to the basket like that. 
but it's it's a little bit more of a nuanced conversation than than just the numbers. Um, if you if you were having a conversation with the with Bill Self, I'm sure he would bring up the fact that well, Azubuki banging inside will get the opponents in foul trouble, or it will it will tire out the bigs for later in the game. So it's hard to just use those numbers, but they are a starting point for sure. I think, and and you're right. I I like this bigger discussion we can have about the post. That's because there are other factors involved. We can't just say okay. Um, they're scoring this points per possession, this points per possession. It, it, you have to look at the big picture with it. So you mentioned the fouls is one thing. I would also like to mention that sometimes when you throw the ball inside and try to get it to your post player, it, it can be a turnover. Uh, some of those passes are a little bit riskier. So there are turnovers involved in this as well. Something else is that when Yudoka Azabuki is shooting a shot, it's harder for Yudoka Azabuki to get the rebound, you know, if he's 6 or 8 or 10 feet away from the basket. So that's also something it could hurt KU's rebounding, offensive rebounding numbers. Um, it's, he's probably much more likely to get uh, rebound a shot if it's taken by somebody else and he can make get position out of the basket then, uh, you know, if he's shooting up eight feet and with the defender between him and the rim. So um, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, let's start with this. I, I went to Synergy and, and they track, and again, this is uh, tracking game by game, the plays and um, what what they end up with, uh, the result of it. And the post-ups for KU right now, uh, according to Synergy, I can pull up the exact number. It is 25.4% of the time. And again, this is a small sample size. This is only two games. But Jordan, I was looking back through the Synergy numbers over the past uh, this would be unprecedented if KU kept this sort of thing up. I mean, obviously they want to go inside, but having this high of number in the post-up percentage, uh, this is pretty crazy right now how much KU has decided to go inside out, even just through two games. Right, and it's a little bit surprising only because Kansas has, with with Svi and, and their personnel in, in recent years, deviated a little bit from it. And it seems like they came back in full force, ready to be a, a pure Bill Self team this year. Um, but yeah, I, the other thing to think about is what's the alternative? You know, Diedrich Lawson and, and Yudoka Azubuki probably aren't the ideal 4-5 together. So you, you have to take that into account. If, if you are going to spread the spread the court, run ball screens, do you really want Diedrich Lawson operating like a guard? Um, so it can be a little bit personnel driven, um, and, and we'll see how how it progresses with the se- as the season goes on. Yeah, and these are small sample sizes, but I think what would be surprising too is for synergy right now those post up situations KU's at 0.87 points per possession. That's the 56th percentile. So I think a lot of people would think, oh, okay, they've been throwing it inside, and that's been really effective. Well. It's been sort of effective. What also has been effective for KU has been these spot up attempts. Now, listen, I do not expect you know Legerald Dick to go eight for eight from three point range every game, or for Quentin Grimes to go six for seven from three point range again this year. But it does at least bring up the discussion that when KU is is scoring. 1.53 points per possession on spot ups. I'm not saying that they need to only throw it outside and play to open threes, but it seems like this team might be more capable of that than uh, maybe they would have thought before the season. And so there might be a better balance there where you don't have to force Yudoka to take every shot he has inside. You know, there might be other players on the court that can maybe balance this out a little bit and make it a little bit tougher to guard. KU doesn't have to be maybe that interior focus where we're looking at them on a completely different plane as any other team maybe in the past decade. Right. I think that's a really good point. And you said small sample, but this has actually been a pretty common theme the last few years. So Kansas has shot 
the three ball over 40% in the last four seasons or in the last three seasons. And they, they are this year as well for the fourth season. And th- on its face, that seems like a good thing. But on the other hand, maybe they should be shooting more threes so that they're not shooting such a high percentage. Um, so it's it's been a trend. And it, it's something that that I talked about a little bit in, in a video I made where Azubuki, when he when he gets good position, it's like a dunk or a very high percentage shot. It's when he gets pushed out a little bit that I would like to see him uh, distribute the ball a little bit more, find those shooters. Defenses are still collapsing on him for sure. Um, and and maybe increasing those three-point attempts still through the post-up. Yeah, I think it's fascinating here. If you look at Udoka's numbers, we're going to go a little nerdy, but hey, that's what we do, <laughs> me, me and you, Jordan. Um, I was looking at offensive rating and usage percentage, and offensive rating is just your individual efficiency, and usage is basically how much of a go-to guy you are, You know how many possessions are ending in your hands. And so I was talking on the radio with somebody uh, just earlier this week, and they said, hey, you know, is Yudoka going to be like a huge statistical performer? Is he going to be better this year? And I said, well, yes, in a raw points per game and rebounds per game, yeah, that'll happen. But what you see has happened for him, if you look at his numbers, last year, a 121 offensive rating, a 22% possession percentage, 20% average. So a little bit above average go-to guy, super efficient, great player. Like you said, you know, if he didn't have it, would pass it out, shot 77% on twos. So basically just took good shots. Well, you've seen this year, he's got a 103 offensive rating and a 29% possession percentage. So he is the ultimate go-to guy for Kansas, but is not as efficient because he's not taking, he's basically loosened up his shot selection and also hasn't made a bunch of free throws at the free throw line as of yet. So it's sort of, this is where teams feel themselves out. You know, you, you figure out whether this is what you need or not. So will Yudoka's numbers, if he keeps up like this, be basically all American worthy? Yeah, probably from a raw statistics standpoint. But does KU with five talented guys on the floor need Udoka to be the ultimate go-to guy and shoot the ball 30% of the time when he's on the floor? I think those are the questions if you're KU's coaching staff you have to answer. And maybe, again, talk to Udoka and say, hey, look, we love that you're being aggressive in there, but hey, there are probably better shots for other people if you've got a guy square behind you. We don't need that eight-foot turnaround jump hook from you. Right, I agree, and uh, it, it, they don't just throw it into Azbuki. He he's definitely the the top guy there. Uh, but Diedrich Lawson, when he gets in the post, I, I know I've heard the announcers say a couple times during these games that Bill Self says Diedrich Lawson's the best passer he's ever had, mm-hmm. um, and and so he's mo- I think more built to uh, I guess be a little bit more responsible w- with his post touches. But but his efficiency has been has been even worse so far to start to start the year, um, which uh, definitely small sample size here. I don't think uh, anyone would would say that Dedrick Lawson is going to continue shooting anywhere near where he has been. Um, but but to start the year, um, that that's the way it's been. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because. Again, KU has other talent guys, Quentin Grimes, Devon Dotson. We saw what LeGerald Vick could do, um, at least guys that can score. But right now, Diedrich Lawson's possession percentage is 29%, and Udokas is 29%. <laughs> so uh, you, when, when that's going to happen on the court, you're basically left with three role players offensively, and that's just kind of how it started. You know, Bill Self, after the Champions Classic, said, hey, uh, Udoka is the guy that uh, the team is going to go to if they need a bucket late. That's what happened. He delivered, and it seemed like that sort of message was in Udoka's head because early on there were a lot of post touches, and he was trying to score even when they were difficult shots. And uh, you mentioned it, Jordan. Um, 
Bill Self's ultimate goal is to get what he calls angles, where you throw it over the top, you get a basket where Udoka doesn't have to go against a set defender. So obviously, if KU can play to that, and a lot of that happened in the second half with Quentin Grimes passing to him, if you can get a dunk every possession, great. Nobody is arguing that a dunk every possession is bad basketball, but uh, it still seems like right now it's sort of uh, this team is feeling itself out, and Quentin Grimes and Devon Dotson, I guess to their credit, have sort of deferred a little bit to these two guys inside, and right now KU at least statistically, surely seems like uh, an inside-out team. I guess we'll see if that changes here over the course of the next few weeks. Right. And it's actually, it becomes a bit of a challenge for for Grimes and Dotson from a a spacing perspective. So if if, uh, they don't get that angle, or or what I would usually call a seal, if they don't get the seal for Azubuki, then it becomes hard to drive with with a big body like that clogging up the paint. Yes. Um, So... And, and so that is another, we talked about how it's more nuanced than just looking at the points per possession. Um, Michigan State uh, was doing this a lot in, in their opening game against Kansas. They, they run the floor, they, they seal, um, and then it's just hard to, to find driving lanes from there if Nick Ward, their big guy, doesn't get the ball. Um, so it's, it's tough. Um, you you want to generate those dunks. You, you want... Azubuki is is probably the best at that of anyone in the country. If he if he's got it in the right spot, um, he he's probably the best finisher of anyone in the country with his athleticism and his size. Uh, but given the spacing issues, I think that the guards for for KU have have done a really good job early in the year. Yeah, I think also, and, and and maybe I'll throw it back to you real quickly here. But what KU did last year with their what they call four game, which is kind of their dribble weave, you still see it some. Um, they put two guys in the corners, and as you said, it spaces it out a lot better uh, to allow ball screens and then Yudoka to roll to the rim and then driving lanes. With what they're doing now, the kind of old Bill Self three out two in offense, a lot of those passing lanes you're talking about come from the wing, and so it's a little bit tougher. There's just a little bit more of a crammed house in there along with uh, the big men that are in the post. So, yeah, it's a little bit tougher for Quentin Grimes and Devon Dotson to use uh, straight line drives as a weapon because it's just going to be a crowded house inside. I, I did want to ask you too um, about specific post-ups because you mentioned this on Twitter too. Having post-up percentage being high is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I was going back through your history, Jordan. You consulted for New Mexico State back in 13-14 and then you worked for them from uh, 15 to 18, I believe. But So uh, across the map there, I-, I saw that New Mexico State was the second highest post-up percentage in 13-14. And then um, the years after that was 10th, 201st, and I think it was 9th. So you guys kind of went over the range of that, too. Um, I guess to get your expertise into this, when you were consulting or a video coordinator for them, I mean, was that a number that you guys looked at? Was that a number that you guys considered uh, when looking at your offense and figuring out kind of what the best way to get to your offensive ceiling was? For sure. Um it was one of a, a lot of things, but I was doing very similar stuff to, to what I was tweeting in terms of uh, the post-ups and, and what our efficiency was. So we wouldn't necessarily track um, every time we ran or every time we, we threw the ball into the post what our points per possession was. We would track every time we ran this play. Um, and as a staff, we know which plays lead to post-ups or, or, or which we, what we called breakdowns uh, lead, lead to post-ups. Um, so, yeah, quantifying uh, our decision-making as coaches and just like you mentioned in the beginning, uh, looking at how that affected our rebounding, look at how, looking at how that affected our turnovers, getting to the foul line. 
like a, a big picture perspective of almost any decision that we were making um, as a coaching staff. That was my goal to try to quantify. And also, I'm assuming we've talked about basing it off your team. It seemed like New Mexico State probably had the personnel a lot of these times to to run post-ups, uh, to, yeah. to do that sort of thing. I mean, is that basically what, what you guys saw as well or, or kind of playing to your personnel in, in that sort of instance? Yeah. Um, the, the year I was consulting, I, I was actually an undergrad at, at Villanova, so um, in, in right outside Philly. So I was definitely not with the team in Las Cruces. Um, but, but yeah, they had Sim Bular on that team who, who uh, was definitely a guy that you needed to throw the ball into the post. <laughs> um, so yeah, a little bit different. And then, and then they had Pascal Siakam the year before I got there, another guy who, who was one of the best scorers in the country. Um, I think that we got away from that for the most part, uh, in, in my time, in my two seasons as video coordinator, I probably not because of me. I don't think it was because of me at all, but, uh, we, I, I worked for two different coaches and, and, uh, the first year under, under coach Paul Weir, we ran a lot of ball screens, a lot of, uh, spread ball screens. And currently he's the coach at New Mexico and, and they're, they set the school record for threes last year. So he's definitely um, all in on, on letting it fly from three. And then last year, our best score, we had a, we had a really good isolation score, uh, which analytics doesn't love the isolation, but Zach Lofton, who's, who's now in the NBA on a two-way deal, he was definitely capable of, uh, of getting a bucket. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com/sportspass. I wanted to real quickly talk about KU's defense uh, in the first half. I think I, I've been trying to. You, you said you went to Villanova, and I've been trying to not use this comparison, but. Uh, it, it sure seemed like in the first half that Vermont had seen some Villanova tape. And with the personnel they had, the big men that can shoot, they were trying to put Yudoka Azabuki in some very difficult situations to get open threes. I kind of wonder what you thought about KU's defense in that game. And it sure seems to me that Bill Self, he's a really good in-game coach and able to, with this roster especially, kind of change things around. He, he put Marcus Garrett at the four and put him on uh, Vermont's best scorer, Lamb, in the second half. But I, I just wonder what you thought saw about uh, KU's defense. And this has been the defense that has allowed a bunch of threes historically. Um, do you think that could be another issue for KU this year, especially if Yudoka Azabuki continues to get the minutes that he does? and the obvious limitations that he has yeah I'd, I'd say playing playing two bigs with with loss and as and as would make sense that they should give up some threes um I don't know how big of a problem that will be because I think they can balance it out by being a really good defensive rebounding team uh with which based off of their first two games they're they're gonna be a really good defensive rebounding team I guess the the one 
concern maybe was they didn't really turn Vermont over very much, um, which uh, I guess logically you would think they would be able to to do that at a pretty high level. And that could be like the swing stat, I would say, for for Kansas. So even if um, they give up some threes, I think I think that'll be balanced out by the rebounding. But how much they can turn teams over. I think Kansas will be a good defensive team for sure. But if they if to to become a great defensive team, it would be forcing some more turnovers. That really is where depth could come into play too, because in years past, some of the you know Devontae Graham, you can't ask him to get out and guard somebody forty feet away. You're having him play forty minutes a game already. I think he had a stretch of ten or eleven games last year where he played all forty minutes, but. With the depth KU has this year, uh, yeah, you, you should be able to hopefully get a Devon Dotson who can get on the bench a couple times a game and play 31, 32 minutes. And you should get a fresh Charlie Moore, even if he's not the best natural defender out there. So uh, what you're speaking to, Jordan, you know, KU probably has, with depth, one of the advantages is maybe being able to pressure up the floor a little bit more and take teams out of their offense rather than uh, just be more of a position-based team. And uh, as you said, all these things work together. If KU gets great defensive rebounding and allows a few threes, they probably can withstand that as long as they turn people over a little bit higher rate than they did last year. Right, yeah. And it's it's that type of thinking. Um, what, I, I know you know they're, they're called the four factors, um, shooting, rebounding, turnovers, and free throws. So that type of thinking, trying to think of how those four change given any decision that uh, that we used a lot at New Mexico State and, and that I'm using uh, this year still. Yeah, well, and real quick, I, um, I wanted to ask you about this as well because this is always, it's the same thing. It's like the chicken or the egg or, or you kind of pick your poison. Um, I, I heard a recent podcast you talked about and you were talking, I, think it was, I believe it was San Francisco's coach, where if you emphasize one thing, you're going to be giving up something else. And so um, with KU's roster and defensively what they have, you know, they got a couple um, quick guys on the outside. They have some good length. They have some shot blockers inside, but I'm sure with some of the help defense they have, they also want to protect Yudoka Azabuki from getting in foul trouble and not have him just get two immediate fouls because of dribble drives to the rim. I just wonder what conversations you had in previous stops about three-point defense in particular. I'm sure you've read the studies from Ken Pomeroy about how the best three-point defense is limiting them or eliminating those shots because once they go up, you have very little control about going about of them going in. I just wonder what conversations you had with coaching staffs. And again, if there is give and take there, if you have to figure out, okay, yeah, we're going to give up some threes this year. That does make us feel uncomfortable, but that's because we're doing X, Y, Z, and that helps us out in this area. Um, I guess what were the conversations about three-point defense in your previous stops? Yeah, I, I think all all the staffs I were on were committed to taking away the three, uh, but everyone has different ideas on how to do that. So technically speaking, the biggest way is how you're going to close out. So if, let's say you're in a rotation, someone drives baseline and uh, there's a shooter open in the corner. How are you going to contest that shot? Maybe 50, 40 years ago in basketball, that was chop your feet, put a hand up, don't leave the ground. Um, just uh, definitely don't foul. Uh, and that's changed a little bit here uh, where I think all three, all three teams that, that I work for, we were leaving our feet. Usually the term is get skinny, um, so that's to avoid the foul, um, is you kind of twist your body to the side as you're in the air and get skinny so that you can still contest but hopefully uh, reduce the probability of fouling. 
Um, and it, it's it's not only the technique, like like the get skinny thing, but also just the emphasis, uh, especially in scouting. If, if, if you have a team that shoots a lot of threes, um, it if you emphasize it enough, if you uh, tell your players that that's what you want to take away, it, that has an impact, too. And uh, that's really good stuff. And I guess in, no, in that emphasis, when you're talking about getting skinny, leaving your feet, your thoughts or, or the, the coach's thoughts then is the worst thing that can happen is an uncontested three or not contesting that three well enough because the points per possession on that is very high. The hope is you force a dribble, you force a mid-range shot, you at least force uh, or give yourself time so that the defense can recover and hopefully uh, make its way back around again. I'm, I'm guess, is that kind of a simplified version of, of what that technique is, is intended to do? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty much uh, pervasive in, in the coaching, uh, industry now that you want, you want your, uh, you want the other team taking mid range shots. Um, and there's different ways to do that. Uh, we talked about the closeouts. The other way would be ball screens. Um, so teams tend to change their ball screen coverages, uh, on a game by game basis. But for the most part, uh, the trend has been away from hedging and coming really far out on ball screens. That leads to rotations, which leads to three-point shots. Uh, but now you're seeing a lot of teams have their big stay back. Uh, usually it's called ice, which is force the ball to the baseline and have, have the big stay back. And I would say that I, uh, ball screen defense is probably the most spent, uh, the most time spent on of anything on, on the defensive side of the floor. And that, I think, is in large part Thanks to, to Ken's study that, that you mentioned in the beginning. Well, this is all fascinating stuff, Jordan. Um, I, real quickly, um, I, you know, I've, I've been listening to your podcast, Solving Basketball. It's online. I encourage people to check it out. You have some great guests on and kind of a, a deeper talk about the college game uh, with coaches, with video coordinators. I, talked, I know you talked to uh, uh, Steve Alford's son, who is on a video coordinator on UCLA staff. So, I mean, all sorts of good guests with that. And HoopVision68 is your Twitter account, so people can go follow you on there with some great stuff. Like I said, there was some uh, KU stuff on there the other day that I retweeted, but uh, a lot of advanced basketball stuff and some great videos that you do. Um, can you just uh, real quickly give us the, the bio of what you're doing this year and kind of what you hope to accomplish and uh, sort of uh, the role that you're playing to try to help uh, help fans and, and even people like me understand the game a little bit better? Yeah, yeah. So th- thank you for, for saying that. And uh, I guess the the elevator pitch would be that it's um, I'm doing what I did for New Mexico State and for Nevada, which which is film and analytics combined into one and and putting it online instead uh, for for fans and and whoever to uh, to take a look at it. So I'm definitely uh, focusing on the top teams in the country just just from a from an interest perspective. That's what makes the most sense. Um, so, so for sure there'll, there'll be some Kansas videos, uh, coming out and, uh, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky have, have been the big three and, um, yeah, it's giving people a behind the scenes look a little bit at what goes on in, in the college basketball coaching world, uh, with, with, with film and then also analytics. Awesome. Well, again, uh, Jordan Sperber. Uh, Hoop Vision 68 is where you can find him on Twitter, and then be sure to check out his YouTube page. You can find that too. He start if people follow me, they know the 
old Luke Wynn power rankings were a must read every week and Jordan has started his own version of that with uh, a video of his top eight teams. Uh, it was a, a, some great content there and had Kansas in there and a little bit more information on the post-touch stuff that we talked about earlier. So Jordan, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on and uh, good luck with what you're doing this year and I, I hope we can have you on here down the road again as well. Happy to do it. And yeah, thank you very much for having me, Jesse. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Jordan. And thanks to all you out there for listening to the Sportsbeat KC podcast. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week.